It's the North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. I'm Crispin Schroeder. Today on the podcast, we feature a message from Phil Johnson, the pastor of the Vineyard Church of New Orleans. This is part four in our series, Both And, and we've been doing a bit of a pulpit church swap kind of thing for this last month, which we will wrap up here uh, in the following week with Brian Johnson. So uh, Bill's, uh, Phil's delivering a message entitled Quality and Quantity, or Quantity and Quality, I believe. So let's head over to downtown Covington, North Shore Vineyard Church. Thanks a bunch for listening. It's deja vu. It throws me back 20-something years to a shopping center on Williams Boulevard when there were this many of us, and uh, boy, those were awesome, awesome days. You got to be loving this. You really do. I mean, this is, this is fantastic. I couldn't be more proud of Crispin and, and Dina and you guys for what you're, what you're doing here. It's fantastic. It feels so good. You know, every church doesn't feel good. I don't know if you know that. And this one probably won't feel good all the time either, but... Right now, it's, it's all right. Did, I don't know if you saw the news, but there was a, um, uh, just last night, there was a fellow who was stranded on an, an island, and they just found him this weekend. Yeah, 20 years, 20 years. Yeah, and when the rescuers got there, they saw that he had built this amazing structure. And they said, what is that? He said, it's my house. They said, you've been here by yourself 20 years? You built this huge house for yourself? He said, yeah, well, I didn't have much else to do. And they said, well, what's that building? He said, oh, well, that's my church. He said, you built yourself a church? Oh, yeah, who was in it? Just me. Beautiful structure. And then they said, well, what's that building? He said, that's the church I used to go to. <laughs> now, I mean, that's pretty bad when you can't get along with yourself, right? But uh, it's kind of funny, but it's kind of sad because he couldn't get along. And, you know, that's, sometimes that's just, it happens in churches. And I... I Sometimes I think that's why God plants new ones, you know, so that we, we get a chance to start over and start fresh and try to hear from the Lord and, and just be the people He's called us to be without a whole lot of pretense or hype. And, but at the end of the day, you, you know, you, you are on a honeymoon, and that's good. And honeymoons are a great idea. Anybody in favor of honeymoons? Yes. You see, honeymoons, I don't know who invented it, but thank God for that person. And when you actually it's a kind of a biblical thing in the old testament when a man got married he like took a year off of everything to take care of his wife and just enjoy life together and i said we should pick that one up again i like that <laughs> but a, a, a couple goes off on their honeymoon to develop their relationship quality and and before long they're going to need that quality because their family is going to add what quantity you start adding kids. I was just talking to Josh and Rebecca this morning. She said, what is it like really to sleep a whole night? Well, you'll find out again, I don't know, maybe 13, 14 years. Um, but honeymoons are great, but then here comes this quantity, and the honeymoon seems to be over. I know you've experienced that in your life. And, and we're, this series that we're, we're in, any of you reading the book, Both and by Rich Nathan? Some of you get the book? You didn't get the book? Or did you know it's a book? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's it. Uh, okay, well, so Crispin didn't tell you that part. Okay. <clears throat> well, we decided to go. This is a book written by uh, Rich Nathan, a uh, uh, pastor of one of the largest vineyards in the country, and he's really a great guy. Um, but my topic is not in the book. I just decided to make up my own, and uh, I'm going to send it to him. Um, 
No, not really. Now, you see, here's, here's the thing. For me, I, I get to come to the North Shore Vineyard. I get to go to the Baton Rouge Vineyard, which is uh, kind of in a, a fresh start mode. They've been there for a lot of years, but they have a new pastor just for a few years. Actually, he's, has he been here yet, John Maurer? Yeah. So you saw that. And then Mike Lehman from Houston, his church is <clears throat> 10 years old. And as I was trying to go through the book and figure out, well, what, what do I want to talk about um, as part of this? I just decided I wanted to address our young churches. And um, so I, I'm going to talk to you about quality and quantity when it comes to church. Because it's really important. And I've had this kind of talk <clears throat> several times over the years in our church. And you'll hear some more about that as I get along. But um, I wanted to tailor it for y'all and uh, for those other churches. Because as you come out of your honeymoon... And I'm not saying you're there yet, but when you start coming out of the honeymoon, you're going to be faced with some choices. And will we choose, at some point, you'll all have to face this. Don't think it's just going to be your leaders or, or, or the pastor. You have to face a choice. And is my life and our life as a church, is it going to be about quality or quantity? Or will it be both quality and quantity? And this is not an easy decision to make. Um, <clears throat> what about having children? Was that an easy decision to make? Quality? Well, quality, of course you want quality kids. What about the quantity one? That's the, did you think long and hard about it? Did you just get surprised? And so you've got to deal with it either way. And uh, as a church, you can choose neither and pretty much just die off. Or you can choose one or the other, focus on just quality life, quality Christians, you know, and go deeper and deeper yourself. Or you can choose just quantity. Obviously, um, both would be the preferred choice. We want our churches, actually we want our disciples. We want to be people of quality when it comes to our relationship with Christ. We want it to go deeper. We want to be better. We want to be transformed. And by the way, I'm 60 years old and, and the transformation never stops unless you stop it. Because there's always something else God's trying to change in me. And... Uh, and you as well. So we want to be quality Christians who take our lives with Christ seriously. We want to be a quality church. But we also want to think about adding people to the kingdom. And that's something, that's how you'll see this, this becomes sometimes a difficult choice. So for our purposes today, I'll define the terms as such. Quality is the quality of life of a disciple. Are we living the life of Christ? Are we incarnation? Are we incarnational? Are you, am I incarnating the life of Christ? Is it really being manifested in me, through me, and out to others? Am I living the kingdom life? That's quality. Quantity would just simply be how many people are there of us that are doing that? And that's really the, 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 the thing about quantity is we're supposed to make disciples. And that pattern, is it... Is it, is it um, is there a pattern for it? Is there a precedent for it in the scripture or in the story that God's telling? Absolutely. In Acts chapter 2, you're very familiar with that, I'm sure, but Jesus ascends to heaven, the Holy Spirit comes, and the first thing that happens when the Holy Spirit comes, obviously these people are just overwhelmed with the life of God in them. That's a pretty quality life right there. Don't you that's a good start? The life of God in you. But the first thing they do is they, they're given utterance to tell all the other people in the city that day the gospel. 
And so they're flooded into the streets, and, and people think they're drunk. And Peter says, no, 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 you're, you're misunderstanding this. This is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. Now, the Jewish people would have known that. Joel said, in the latter days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on young and old, on male and female, slaves and, and, and owners. He said, I'm going to just pour my spirit out on all humanity. Now, that's pretty good. That's a quality of life. But he says, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all. Everybody say all. All, all mankind. And that we can't ignore. All mankind. You know, it's, it's, this is a hard thing. It's a hard thing to realize. But after you got saved, God didn't stop saving people. <laughs> you know, after he found me, he didn't say, like, I got the quality one. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> no. He, he says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord can get into the kingdom. And how many on that one day? 3,000 people came into the kingdom of God. That's only happened in my ministry twice. <laughs> I wish. It's never happened. But how important is this to God that people hear the gospel, they see the gospel, and they're brought into the kingdom to live that same kind of quality life. So it's both and. And it says that those 3,000 devoted themselves. Did I do that? I did? Okay. I'm not sure what I did, so just. Do you want to change microphone? No, I like this one. No, unless you need me to. Okay, so y'all want me to change? That'd be better? I'm going to keep going, and, and, and I'm sorry I introduced the vote into the vineyard. We don't vote in the vineyard, so um, <laughs> I just make an executive decision. I'm not going to change right now. Okay. So, sorry, Crispin. Um, okay, so those 3,000 people, what did they do next? Well, they devoted themselves, if you see in Acts, to what? To, to teaching of the apostles, the prayer taking care of each other. I mean, what, is that quali- that's a quality life. And at the same time, if you get to the last verse in that chapter, it says, and the Lord was adding daily to their number. So yeah, there's a precedent for this. Jesus didn't stop, he's not, hadn't finished saving people. And this happened all because he told those first disciples when he was ascending. He said, I want you to go and make disciples, mark them with baptism, and mature them in me. You go and find them, and you mark them with baptism, and then you grow them up to observe everything I've taught you. In other words, go find a whole bunch of them and give them the quality life that I intended for people, for human beings to have. So that's never been rescinded. So I think every church, and and I think in the stage that you're in, you probably need to start hearing this. It's both and. Because having planted a church and gone through this stage and several other stages, I can tell you it's easy to stop at many places going down the road. You can stop at quality uh, in a hundred different ways, and we, and we did several times. But the Lord continues to remind us that it's not just about us. It's about bringing more people into the kingdom as well. Now, would you agree, and, and I, do, I feel like I need to make this statement, that a church could so focus on quantity that there would be very little quality? Okay, that, that's a danger too. And so when you, when you start to focus on, on, maybe you just add quantity into the mix, oftentimes we 
we stretch too far. We, we push the envelope way out here to make sure we're doing that, and then we sort of forget about this. So we, we, we have to always be watching that. And, you, and that's, that's a very tough challenge uh, for us as, as churches, as pastors, for sure. It took us 10 years in New Orleans to decide for quantity. 10 years to decide that quantity was even important. And in our first 10 years, we had grown to about 250 people. And um, I, we didn't try. I mean, it was mostly having babies. And uh, I mean, we didn't try to win people to Christ necessarily. And, and every now and then somebody like this, they would stumble. You got to put somebody out in the front door to say, hey, this is a church. Want to come in? <laughs> no, they didn't know it was a church. It took 10 years to grow to that point and, and through some some issues, some personal issues that I went through in my own family, I just, uh, God just convinced me that he loved everybody, not just our little group. And so we began to do some things to at least open ourselves up to the possibility that God wanted the church to actually grow. Um, But I got to tell you, it wasn't for the sake of growth, because until 10 years, we were 10 years old, I was against, and you might even share this sentiment, I was anti-large church. You want to know why? Because we were small. <laughs> Sorry, you were looking for a really spiritual, no, it was just because we were small and I was jealous. Or I thought, I, I had to justify being who we were, so what I did is I just said, everybody else that's like, that's, oh, that's just hooey, that's full of... That's just trendy, it's fashion, it's whatever. You see what I did? I judged everybody else because I, I had to justify where I was. Now, that wasn't our church's problem, that was mine. But through some tragic events, particularly with, with my own uh, daughter, I, I learned just how God feels about lost people. And it changed my life forever. And so I could never, ever, ever look back and, and not see that every human being, God wants every human being. And the reason we're here is to, is to incarnate the life of Christ as a people so that people are drawn in, so that we can restore people, so that we can rescue people, so that the kingdom comes, so that heaven touches earth in their lives. So 10 years for us and, and um, just to even open ourselves up. One of, the, one of the things that happened in the 90s, and, and this was something that we had to deal with as well, is church growth became trendy. It was in the 90s that megachurches, um, the late 80s and early 90s, you started to see megachurches pop up around the country. A megachurch is a 2,000-plus member church. And uh, there were some really big ones, and it spawned a whole cottage industry on how to grow your church. And... You know, some of that, there, there, were, there were guys who were on tour, there were conferences, seminars, materials, you could buy this and buy that and go here and import it into your church and everybody was, was trying all these things. But see, that can be a real issue when your motivation is wrong. And, and I, I don't think that happened to us in large part, but I did see it happen to some friends. Um, because my motivation, and, and I tried to impart this to the church, was really, really, really what God's heart is for lost people. And, and, and without judging all the other, I just didn't always feel that. It just felt like the, it was a competition all of a sudden. Who can have the biggest church? And if, if that's going on, if ambition and pride and success or um, 
growth for the sake of growth is the, uh, is the motivation, it's, it's not going to go very well. It just won't. And, and, then, and then it causes you at times to use the wrong methods. And, and I think being seeker sensitive is okay. I really do. I think it's better than seeker hostile. <laughs> Don't you? I mean, I, I'm kind of sad that they use that term because that term has, has grown to be a, a bad thing now, you know, because oh, it speaks to a lot of people of, well, we're compromising the quality of life in order to attract people in and entertain them and, you know, and all that stuff. And, you know, you know maybe we could use the wrong methods, you know, and in some of those churches, I, I just couldn't, I couldn't do that. They're non-participatory. You wouldn't get to stand up and worship. You'd have to sit there and let somebody else entertain you. And it's like, really? Is that? So, so I, I couldn't go that far. But, but those are the dangers. If it's the wrong motivation or the wrong method, then, it's, it, then church growth, is, it's not, it's not going to be good at all. Um, I don't like um, trendy for the sake of being cool. I mean, look at us. We're, we're just kind of naturally cool, aren't we? I mean, well, I think you're cool. And I don't dress like this because it's, it's written in a book somewhere that, oh, you know, if you wear blue jeans and you'll attract more people, it'll be, it'll be no, no, it's because this is, this is me and this is you. And so, you know, importing stuff that's not me, I, I never would want to do that. And, um, but I did occasionally and it didn't work, so I don't do it anymore. I just want to be me. You just want to be you. And I encourage you in that. Um, that can be not so good. In fact, you know what it does? It feeds something in our culture that we actually need to learn to starve as Christians. And that's consumerism. There's way too much consumerism in Christianity. Now, <clears throat> I'm not talking about just those Christians <laughs> at those churches. I'm talking about you and me. We are Western Christians, and we cannot help ourselves but be Christian consumers. It's how we grew up. It's one of the hardest things, one of the hardest habits, one of the hardest things to detect in your life because we don't want to see it. But we are consumers. That's why when people do strategy about church and how we're going to win the masses, they're thinking, well, they're all consumers, so let's do some, let's give them something to consume. And that's how that thing just sort of got all out of whack and out of control. But we're feeding the wrong thing. Now, is, is a consumeristic lifestyle, think about it honestly, is that really a quality life for a disciple? It's not. It's really not. You see, a disciple is not a consumer, and a consumer is not going to be a good disciple. But that's what we're fighting in our culture. And that's, I think that's why maybe... If the motivation was right, the methods sometimes got all messed up. I, I think it's really, really fine to be who you are. And it comes out looking cool for you and for people like you. Listen, you're not going to reach the whole town of Covington and Mandeville. But you're going to reach people like you. And that's what, that's, that's what your target is. That's who you're looking for. You're not going to try to be somebody else to get those kinds of folks here. You're just going to be you. Now listen to me. You're going to grow. And things will change. And you'll say, I want another honeymoon. <laughs> and then Crispin will have to have a family talk with you and say, the fam you know, your mama just had another baby. And <laughs> here we go. So let's go back to consumerism a minute. I, how do, you, how do you create 
a capitalist consumer? Well, you take a teenager and you drop them in to this thing called the mall. And it becomes their church because they hang out there. And in the mall, there are rhythms of life, are there not? In the mall, there's liturgy. There are advertisements and there, there are rituals that you go through. You pick something up. You pay money. You take it home. You repeat this over and over and over. You see pictures all over the mall of the good life. It's telling you what the quality life is. And you're going like, well, crap, I don't have that. So you go get it. The thing is, you find redemption. The teenager finds redemption at Forever 21 for this long. And then they got to go back. And they got to go back. And they go back. And then they get older. And they go to Brooks Brothers. Or something else. And that's how, it's in us, folks. It's in us. And the problem is when we bring that to church and the church plays right into it, we're not really helping people. We're not really helping them. There's pressure. Huh? You, you, you wouldn't feel this as much, but years ago I felt pressure as a pastor to provide for consumers. Before I really understood in my own head what was going on in my life and the lives of other people, I, I think I probably helped cater to that mentality. I didn't mean to, but I did. It's, it's inevitable. And so, what, what, so well, what do you do different now? Um, I let them starve. I take stuff away. In fact, I, I, we're probably known now as, as the uh, largest church on the South Shore that does the least amount of things for people. I don't mean poor people. We do a lot for poor people. I mean for consumers. We just don't have nearly the programs that we used to have. We just we don't have time for it. And what I'd rather do is make a quality disciple who doesn't need to be spoon-fed everything every day all the time. I'd rather make a quality disciple who is such a quality disciple that now he's helping the rest of us work on quantity and quality. The emphasis is off of the person and it's on God's mission in the world. And I think consumerism is going to be our biggest hindrance to get there. There really is. And, and the last thing about that I'll say is I, it, it, it means that we target the wrong audience. You see what happens generally. When we try to be trendy, when we try to make ourselves so attractive that other people would want to come in, do you know who comes in? I'm sorry? Um, the Christians. <laughs> the Christians from other churches who are consumers, who say, well, this show's getting kind of old here. What are they doing down the street? Now, listen, all of us need to just get a good swift kick in the rear end for this one because we help make that kind of disciple. And let's just say we're not going to make that kind of disciple anymore. That, and the way you, you, don't, you make sure you don't is you don't feed that consumeristic tendency in yourself or in anybody else. Um... We're supposed to be fishers of men, not keepers of the aquarium. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm trying really hard not to move. No, it's not you. That's okay. 
if it makes you feel better, this used to happen to us in this little building too when we were at the other place. <laughs> Still happens. Don't worry about it. So church growth can be an issue if we got the wrong motivation, the wrong methods, and you know that whole thing gets out of whack. So, so don't let, here's what I, the reason I told you that whole thing is so that you don't become afraid of it. If you recognize it, then you guys, you'll be just fine. You'll be able to just be yourselves, and you, and you won't go down any of those paths. But here, here's the opposite danger. It can be an issue for us if we're just complacent about the whole thing. And we think, we'd, well, you know, I'm, I like the way it is. No change is needed. Now, why? Why would I think that there's no change needed in my church today? It's simple, because I already got what I need. That's it. And, and if the people in, in my church feel like they got what they need, when, why are you changing? Why are we doing this? Why are we doing that? I'm fine. I like it the way it is. Oh, I know. I don't know. I guess we're, we're, we'll be 29 years old um, in September. And I've gone down that and asked those same questions and, and had those same feelings at least 29 times in 29 years. It, it always comes up. You're always thinking about this. And if you get complacent, then the whole church is listening to W-I-I-F-M. What's in it for me? Number one, one, one on your dial. <laughs> and then we don't, we don't do our mission. So when people began coming, um, it was around 1997 when we started the Alpha course. And, and I was as surprised as anyone. You know, I, I, I never expected God to do what God did. I mean, I had some hope because... We're supposed to be reaching people. And so we opened the doors of the church. We had Alpha, and our first Alpha course was 100 people. And I just, we didn't know what to do with that. Well, when those people started staying at the church, it created all kinds of issues. And I had to pastor the church through it because there were a lot of us, self-included, were content and kind of complacent. I had small group leaders who said to me, wait a minute, you're using one of my small group uh, people to do an alpha table. That means they won't be coming to the group. And I said, tough. But they were really upset. Well, well, but that's my group. I said, no, your group is dead. And you need to come and they need to come and see God do something with somebody new and maybe it'll help your group grow. That's how I pastor. <laughs> Sometimes it works. <laughs> Um, but, but, but those, but you know, here's the thing for me, of course, I had been through this whole thing with God and people who are disconnected from God and how much he loved them. And I, and so I'm trying to pastor the church with that too. But when you bump into folks who don't have the same value yet, not that they don't want it, they just don't have it yet. You got to pastor them through it. I had people ask me when we, cause we, we financed Alpha, you know, it was, it became part of our budget. People said, why are you spending all this money on this meal for a hundred people? You never had a meal for us. <laughs> I couldn't believe people would actually think and say those kinds of things. And then when people started sitting in their preferred seat on the weekend, <laughs> I thought we were way past that kind of stuff. And guess what? Yeah, I don't think... You... How many of you are sitting in the same seat you always sit in today? I mean, <laughs> we're, not, we're not as far past that stuff as we might think. You say, oh, that sounds so silly. I know it sounded silly to me too, but it happened. I put, I, I put um, you guys probably have it. I, what do you do with cigarette butts here? I, we have ash poles out in the front of the church. You know, those, well, at first we just had a bucket with sand because that's the way they did it when I was in, in the, a kid. So I put buckets with sand out front. 
so people could put their cigarettes out before they came in the building. And, and, I, and I got flack from Christians who said, I can't believe you're putting that stuff out there. Why are you doing that? I said, because I'm tired of sweeping them up. <laughs> but people are coming and they just happen to smoke. Well, big deal. So I, I didn't think that was trendy. I thought that was practical. <laughs> so anyway, so, you know, I had to help pastor the church through it because if we get stuck in contentment, consumerism, or complacency, then we will ignore the biblical injunctions to throw our arms wide open to the whole world and say, come into the kingdom. We'll, we'll completely forget that. And that's our mission, make disciples. And I think another thing that, that uh, we see is compelling us it's just the flat-out needs of humanity. This world is a messed-up place, isn't it? And it's not getting any better. I mean, the need for rescue and restoration is staring us in the face every day. And we are the people that God has brought into the kingdom to do what? To start the restoration now. To bring the rescue to people now. How, whatever that looks like in your personal life and in your life as a church. It's the missional component of the church to bring heaven to earth. And we have to be conscious of that. And I'll tell you, whenever you start meeting the needs of humanity, it'll always cost you something. It'll always cost us something. I think I've, I've learned over the years that one of the most unselfish and the most sacrificial things a church can do is decide to let other people in. Because every time you do, it's going to cost you something. And we can do the opposite. We can be selfish and just say we like it like it is. And as much as I like the honeymoon, I must say, after 41 years of marriage, that honeymoon was nothing. It's much better now. Our church, after 29 years, is much better now. It's different than the honeymoon. But it's matured. And it's grown. And it's good. Don't be afraid of that. You will have to keep making that choice. In fact, here's a couple things that will happen. It will get messy. It will get messy because people come in that don't know Christ. And we want them in. But their lives are messy. Uh, messier than ours at this point, perhaps. Not as messy as ours used to be. But they're messy. They bring kids with them. And then a pastor has to stand up here and say, we need help in the nursery today. Or can we get somebody that... We well, see what happens is when you welcome them in, you, you take responsibility for them. And it'll cost you. Um, I, you know, I think one of the best things, and I think you're, you're experiencing this. I think you will if you haven't yet. But I thank God for people who love kids enough to invest their lives in the children. I still, to this day, I think we have one of the best children's programs in, in the world. And it's because of people. In fact, some of the people are here in this room today. Skip was part of that, and Nick, for sure. And, and others uh, worked in it. Some led it. And uh, today we have really good people who are called to it. They do it all the time, and they raise up volunteers. And where we can't get volunteers, we, we have a draft. And we say, you will serve. <laughs> and some, some people said, you can't do that. We said, well, yeah, we can. Why? Because we all said, we want to see the kingdom 
come. We want to see the kingdom. We want to see the church grow. We want to see people come to Christ. And when they come to Christ and they bring their kids, then you know what? We're going to take care of their kids. They'll help us, but we're going to take care of their kids because we want them coming to Christ. And their kids are important. So, so it costs you something. It costs you influence. It costs you your seat. It costs you work. But what are we for? We're not consumers. We're workers in the kingdom. Co-laborers with God. So, don't just maintain what you have. Open your eyes. Open your imagination. We're transformed by the renewing of our imagination. Listen, if there's part of us that needs to be transformed to see the, the bigness of God's mission, then let him transform your imagination. Let him start giving you a picture of what it looks like. You know, I, I shared this at the conference. I've forgotten this, but years ago, I, it must have been 20, probably 20 years ago, in an intercessory prayer meeting, there were probably six of us there, and we had the same color carpet. This carpet's amazing. It's the same carpet we had. Anyway, I, I remember because I was sitting on the stage, on the side of the stage, and we're praying, and I got this, I got a vision, and I don't get a lot of picture visions, but it was in my imagination, and I saw myself standing on the roof of that little building, and the parking lot was full of people, and I was preaching because we couldn't get them all inside. And I held on to that. It was in my imagination, because that's when I was starting to think maybe the church is supposed to grow. But I, I say, okay, well, maybe that's just my imagination. Maybe that's God saying something. Well, 10 years later, we had so many people in the building, we had to have eight weekend services, back to back, some of them simultaneous. And, and the truth is, if we had one, they'd have been standing in the parking lot and I'd have had to get on the roof. I think sometimes God will change us. We are changed by the renovation, renewing of our mind, the renovation of our imagination. So let God give you a picture for this. And if there are things that sound like, oh, I don't want to lose this or lose that. Well, then work hard at not losing important things. But hold everything loosely. And let, let God do what God wants to do. This is a great place. You're a good people. I'd want to come over here. No, that's really important. A pastor needs to want to go to his church. And there were times in the early days I didn't want to go to mine. <laughs> But uh, I'd go there now, so it's okay. <laughs> so here's this little saying. You, you may have heard this if you've been around me for any length of time you have. I don't remember where I got it, uh, so I don't know who to give credit to. But healthy things grow, and growing things change. Change always brings challenge. And when you're challenged, you're forced to trust God. And when you trust God, you're pretty much forced into obedience to God. And obedience to God makes you healthy. And healthy things grow. And growing things change. Change brings challenge. Challenge brings trust. Trust, obedience, obedience, more health. I've never forgotten that. It's really, really an important principle. If you need a scripture for that, just Colossians 2.19. Jesus is the head of the body. We're held together by him, but through him, every joint, every ligament, what does it do? It grows with a growth from God. We're supposed to grow in quality and in quantity. And if we're not growing, we're either dead, sick, or just stuck. All right, last part. Won't take too long here. So what... What causes kingdom growth? That's the wrong question. 
You see, if I had an answer for that, I'd be doing it all the time, right? Everybody, in fact, I would do what everybody else did. I'd package it, I'd, <laughs> I'd price it, I'd sell it. But that's the wrong question. It's not what makes it grow. Jesus makes it grow. He said, I will build my church. So the question for us is what's stopping it? Where am I getting in the way of God's kingdom expanding? In my personal, everyday, ordinary life, am I living quality? Well, if I'm not, well, then start. And am I open for God to use me to bring people into the kingdom? So a couple places where I think that I got into trouble is early on, I thought God was not interested in numbers. And, and I don't think he is interested in numbers for numbers' sake, do you? I think, again, you can have a, a quantity church that is a mile long and, and an inch deep. And we're not making real disciples there. And it becomes something that's it's not the church. But don't assume that God's not into numbers. How did the shepherd who had a hundred sheep know that one was missing? Oh, come on. He counted. <laughs> All sheep look alike. He, he didn't recognize. Oh, Roger's gone. <laughs> no, I think he was counting up at the end of the day. Dang, I'm missing one. <laughs> so God's interested in a hundred, but what did he do? He went looking for one. Oh, yeah. Okay, so don't, don't make that assumption. And don't assume that you have to sacrifice quality. Don't, do, don't assume that. You don't have to. Bigger is not better. But smaller is not better either. It's not. You ever been to an unfriendly small church? Not, not this one, of course, but... <laughs> there's no real listen there's no real inherent conflict between quality and quantity I think we make that up ourselves I don't think it's a real conflict John Wimber used to tell us when we're at a, a, a place where we're about to move it, he, he used the old bell curve from business but he would say when you get to the top and it's about to trend this way he said take the best of what got you here and go and do another one. So you don't have to lose quality. Whatever is quality, whatever you value, keep it. Well, I like small. Well, stay small while you grow big. Get in real relationships. Get in, and, and it's, it's, it's a little bit easier. Um, well, it's, it's, it might be easier at a smaller size to be in relationships. But the truth is you can only really know, really, really know about 40 people. You can know a lot of people, but really know them 40. And, but, but really intimately, it's only a handful. So you can keep doing that, can't you? When they're just because just the crowd's bigger, it doesn't matter. So um, don't assume that you have to sacrifice one for the other. How many kids you have, Dan? Four. Four. I was just checking because I hadn't asked you lately. <laughs> but, uh, so, Dan, if you've got four kids, you lose all four of them in the mall. And you find Skylar, but not the other three. Do you say, oh, we found the quality one. Let's just go home. <laughs> Would you do that? <laughs> I don't think so. He'd go looking for the other three. So you can have both. You should have both. Don't think you've got to sacrifice one or the other. Or that one's more important than the other. Because when we're talking, talking the definitions I gave you today, they're both important. Um, any of you, are there any fishermen, you know, people that fish for fish in here? Anybody fish? 
Nice, nice. Now, let me ask you a question. You see, we think that, um, we assume that the number is not important, but do you ever count how many you catch? That's called, what's the word? Quantity. Now, do you weigh the fish occasionally? Because you're looking for what? Yeah, quality, that's it. Now, if we, can be, if we can do that, can't we do the same thing in the church? Sure we can. Both and. <laughs> so, why is this an important talk for you? I think you're at a, at a critical place. You just, you just never know how and when Jesus is going to build his church. All you can do is be really busy, living a quality life, being a quality people, on the mission with God, and who knows, when he just doesn't open the floodgates to you and, and people, he trusts you with more and more people to make disciples out of them. You're, you're, you've been given the ministry of reconciliation. I, I hope you understand that. You know, this church wasn't planted because Crispin was ambitious. It was planted because God wants to pour out his spirit on all humanity. That's why it was planted. And that's why you're here. And if you've just come into it recently, well, that's still why you're here. You have a ministry of reconciliation. God is restoring things. He is rescuing people and bringing heaven, touching earth with it. And you're a part of that. And you've been given this task. And so you keep living a quality, incarnational life. And keep your arms open to people who need that life. And you'll see people reconcile. So today I'll leave you with this. It's your church. It really is. It's your mission. Say, no, it's God's. Well, it is God's, but he's given it to you. It's your responsibility. And I'm thrilled for you. I can tell you on, on this side of planting and being this place, I can tell you, there's a whole lot that God wants to do. It'll be challenging. It'll be tough. It'll change you. It'll change your church. It'll change you as a people. But it'll be worth it. Because that's what we're for. Both quality and quantity. Amen? Amen. Well, thanks for letting me be here today. Of course, I guess I should thank myself. It was my idea. <laughs> 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 I'm not sure whose idea it was, but you know what? Uh, it was one of the four of us, <laughs> and I've loved going from place to place. I, have you loved having the other guys come in? Yeah, it's, I, we did it last summer, we did it this summer, and maybe I'll write a book and we'll do it next summer. <laughs> not, not really, but maybe we'll do it again. It's good to be with you today. Let's stand. Uh, what do you do next? Is this, are you, pray? ministry team here Got, all right so if you need some prayer the ministry team will be up in the front let me just uh i'll just pray over you i'd like to pray and bless you um uh, holy spirit we welcome you here and i ask you to just to come now and rest on each person here in this part of your family lord the tribe of north shore vineyard and I ask God that you would bless each one. The life and power of your spirit. 
And I pray that you would open all of our imaginations to see what you see when we look around this world, Lord. That we would begin to see people the way you do. We would begin to see things that don't exist yet in our own church here. But we see the things that you want to have happen. And may we nest over those things. May we nurture them with prayer and and continue to allow our imaginations to be renovated so that we see the kingdom and we live the kingdom. And I just bless what you're doing here. And Lord, I pray that you would grant them favor in this community where you have planted them, that many would be touched by their incarnational lives and many would be reconciled to you because of the North Shore Vineyard. Thank you for your blessing and your empowerment. Thank you for giving us your heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. See you next time.